I find like all too often in our society, we always are just adding fuel to the fire. Like someone says something and then someone takes offense and someone takes offense and just escalates and escalates. And it's all these egos that are just trying to have the final word and the final say, and then things escalate and it doesn't get anyone anywhere. And it just makes a lot of mess and a lot of pain and anger. And it just, so, I mean, I think you, uh, yeah, you know, trying if you want to defend yourself, you, you, you try to obviously defuse the situation, but, um, that's your number one goal. And, and then if you can't, then of course you have to, in her, the scenario she's in, she, she does have to defend herself. So. JCV Art Studio. My name is Joanna, and today I have young adult author Alicia Sevigny joining me. We are going to talk about her second and third novels, The Desert Prince and the Oracle of Avaris, featuring her fierce young heroine, Sesha in her Secret of the Sand series. Um, Alicia was on my podcast before, and we talked about her first book, The Lost Scroll of the Physician. And um, these books, it makes me wish they were around when I was 12, 13. Um, but then also as an adult, I recognize uh, issues that she writes and just weaves into her novels. So um, a little bit about Alicia, and I'm giving everyone a heads up. It's sunny today, and I think someone has decided to get out their leaf blower. So hopefully <laughs> be picked up. Of course. <laughs> I'm going to cause trouble. I'm new to the neighborhood here. I want to put a sign up that says recording in progress. <laughs> leaf blowers, right? Halt. <laughs> Anyways, Alicia is a graduate of film school. She's an actor and a former literary agent, also a freelance editor who enjoys mentoring new writers. She is an avid traveler, nature enthusiast, and a lover of ancient, ancient civilizations, which is very evident when you read her novels. Um, she has taught English and yoga, and she is a certified Reiki healer and I love this, a professional tarot card reader. <laughs> now, there are twists and turns and action in her novels. For me, I also appreciate 
just the little things. And, um, you know, in the novel, Sesha, her heroine, her young heroine, gets kicked on this pharaoh ship. And it's the little things where Alicia then writes with her character that Sesha, in her mind, is saying, leopard spots flickered before her eyes. Alicia, that is really cool, uh, that detail, and welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's so wonderful to be here chatting with you again. Such a great time last time. So thank you so much. Good. I hope I'm getting better. (laughs) (laughs) You're amazing. This is fantastic. And I tell you, my heart warmed. Uh, My daughter has got me hooked on yoga. And uh, man, yeah, during this, uh, these troubling times, that that little 20, 25 to 30 minutes of yoga we do just kind of ground. Yeah. It's so important to, you know, kind of get in touch with your body and your breath and out of your head. So yes, highly recommend. (laughs) All right. Your first novel. I remember that opening scene, um, excellent chase scene. And I think it was a Cobra was the, yeah, that's right. The reader is absolutely catapulted into action. And in our last interview, The first book, The Lost Scroll of the Physician, Sesha is trying to find an ancient medical papyrus. And I'm wondering, am I correct in saying that as much as these three books are a part of a series, you've you've written them like a standalone as well? Yeah, I mean, I highly recommend readers to read them from beginning to end because is one journey. Um, But I have done my best to kind of work in enough backstory in a compelling way so that if they were to pick up the second or the third book, they would kind of understand what was happening and what was going on. Um, Just, you know, so that was, that's always a a fine, a fine line to walk. You don't want to, you know, bombard the reader with like so much backstory. So um, definitely struggled with that in the third book actually ended up cutting the first 40 pages because um, my editor was like, okay, well, I don't feel like the book doesn't really start until here. And I was like, oh God. So, okay. So I had to cut 10,000 words. Um, but I do think it, it was better for it, even though it was, uh, it was a tall, it was a tall order. Um, and yeah, I think, I think that although they are designed to be read one after another, you could, you could read them as standalones for sure. Cool. Okay, cool. Now the desert prince book two, continues immediately after the end of book one, right? Like it's... Yeah, it just picks up right right where we left off, like almost to the minute. Okay. Because Kai, Kesha's brother, he's still recovering from book one. And I, when I'm reading book two, you mention uh, <laughs> to the reader, you talk about it in the, in the book, but the listeners have just got to hear this the place of confinement. So can you tell us what the place of confinement is? Yeah. So the place of confinement is somewhere where you do not want to be put. (laughs) It's uh, I guess a modern day or like our, our jails nowadays back then in, in, you know, ancient Egypt. um, I, you know, they're basically pits um, kind of, off away from people um, and there are poles where they put the prisoners. So they're basically pits dug into the ground, small narrow pits where prisoners are left, um, you know, sometimes with very little food or water until, you know, 
either infinitely if they've done really bad things or, you know, and well, it's being decided what's going to be done with them. So um, in the beginning of The Desert Prince, Sasha and her friends are rescuing um, a spy from the pits, the Hicksaw spy. Um, so he can take them, show them the way to this uh, mysterious oasis in the desert um, where his people are. Cool, cool. Because there's, I'm just, I, there's something about that spy. <laughs> <laughs> so can we get a summary, uh, just a little summary of what the Oracle of Avaris is about and where we leave off from book two, The Desert Prince? Yeah, um, so I, I'll try to tell us without giving us Spoiler alert for the Desert Prince, but um, uh, basically uh, the chieftain who um, Sasha and Peppy were doing an errand for has, they come back from, they go back to Thebes and they come back to the oasis and, and the chieftain is gone with Princess Murat um, and the villages are uh, sick. There was a mysterious illness that kind of struck them, which, you know, was, I wrote this before COVID happened. So it was all very kind of what, <laughs> but, um, so they, the villagers are sick. So they help, they help the villagers get better. Most of them. Um, and then they decide to go off in search uh, to Avaris, which is the capital city of the Hyksos. Um, and they go there, um, in search of princess Mira, the chieftain, they're trying to prevent war because they know, um, the chieftain wants to wage war in Thebes. Um, and Sasha finds out she's at the center of two prophecies, uh, a dual pair of prophecies, um, and then learns also that there will probably most likely be a third as these things come in threes. So she, um, Reb and Pacer must go in search of these priestesses who, um, uh, a hidden sect of priestesses who where the Oracle may or may not be, she's missing. They need to go find her. So they're going to start um, off um, with the priestesses and that's their kind of their first stop on their journey. Cool. Cool. And it's interesting. You should mention about, you know, um, the, the sickness, what happens because that's the thing I found with reading your books was how relevant they are to what's going on. Like it, sometimes that's, it's so freaky when that happens, right? Yeah. <laughs> how relevant things when you originally write the book and then when they come out and things that are happening in the world and you're just, you're just, I'm, I, yeah, you're kind of dumbfounded. Like, wow. <laughs> yeah. Life imitating art as they say. Yeah. Now your research. Okay. I've started a first draft of a book that deals with world war two. Okay. Lots of information. Yep. Fine with that research. And I remember from our first interview, you had mentioned you write about a small period in ancient Egypt. And I think at one point you said it's a small blip. Yes. <laughs> it's history like... before Cleopatra. Like that's how small it is. So because of the research you did with book one, did you find like either there was so much material you uncovered that you knew you would need two more books or was it also Sesha's journey just or a combination of the two that you knew it, it this Sesha's journey couldn't be just in in one book yeah that's a great question um for me it was a Sesha's journey it was very character related I mean we do so much research when we write and, and unfortunately we can't it doesn't all make it into the book we um but 
I felt like um, for me, um, also because it took place 3,500 years ago, there's not, there wasn't a lot of material to go on. Um, <laughs> so I had to use a lot of my imagination and, and, you know, do, I did read a lot of research papers and we're learning more and more about this particular blip, as you say, um, in ancient Egypt's past, because um, it is really such a mysterious pocket of time. And um the more we learn, it's it's. I just find it fascinating, and so I just used it as kind of to to jump off um, with this story, and yeah. So Sesha's journey definitely was not over in the first book, and I knew there would at least be three more books. I did not know um, after I sold the first book to the publisher whether or not what what exactly was going to happen in the second and third books. I had a I had a very vague notion of the final you know the final scene of the third book, but. It definitely, you know, wasn't all plotted out before writing the first or submitting it to, you know, the publisher as well. So it was a, there's a lot of work to connect the dots that went on. <laughs> well, it's, it's, it is very seamless and it, you, you've done a lot. So I think the work you've done, because it's just for the reader, it's just seamless. As you oh, thank you. So now the thing I like about Sesha, it's her strength and you have so many little gems in your writing and it's the last paragraph in chapter one. Like this, like it's, it's like such a great lesson, you know, so there's the, another character, Reb and, um, he's there. Was it Pace? Oh, Reb, Reb. Yeah. Yeah where he, he says to Sesha, we will be cursed, you know, and um, Sesha says to him, we already are, I say, tart as unripe berries. Love that. Okay. And like poor Sesha, she then says, I have lost my parents and my home, and I now must leave my brother behind. The gods can take nothing more from me. I do not ask you to join us. But if we are to have any chance of escaping, we must be on our way. Boom. Like that's the last paragraph in chapter one. And that is so strong. Um, now, the message I got from that was even if all is lost, you keep on fighting. You keep on working towards your goal. And is, is that some of the one of the many messages you, you want to get across? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it was also a message for me, <laughs> a little message for me as a writer. Um, you know, we we work so hard and we write these books and it's really difficult um, as a writer to get your work out there in front of readers. And, you know, we just have to keep keep going, whatever it is that we're doing um, and, you know, keep striving onward. And, you know, it's OK to pause and, and take a minute when we need to. Um, but, yeah, you have to kind of pick up the pen or sit back down at the keyboard the next day and keep going. So yeah, definitely. And, and I know even with myself, I've some days you look back at what you've written and you're like, yeah, Other days you're like, Oh my God. <laughs> right. So yeah. Okay. What's important is that you have written though. So try not to pass judgment on it. <laughs> Seriously, that is such a strong way to end chapter one. You know, it's just, wow, wow, yeah. Okay, and another golden moment you have is in the opening of chapter two. 
Like it's such a visual um, where, you know, Sasha's saying how she's, she says, I'm, I'm resting my head against my mother's coffin. I collect my courage. And I just thought, whoa, you know, and so I'm not going to ask you a question about that. I, I think it's a great writing. So I just want to know your thoughts about that. Um, yeah, she's just kind of, I guess, girding the loins of the, the expressions, <laughs> kind of working up. She knows she has to leave her brother behind because he's not, it's not safe for him to travel. Uh, he's still recovering from a surgery, um, but she needs to go. They need to go. They need to escape the queen. They need to find, you know, Princess Murat. So she kind of just is like, okay, this, you know, I'm doing this, we're doing this. And she kind of just gathers, takes a, a quiet moment to gather herself and, um, I think it is a pretty powerful image when, you know, she's in her, her parents' tomb and um, Egyptians had a world of the after, like their view of the world of the afterlife is that people weren't really gone. They were just in a different place. So um, I think she, she wanted to kind of connect with her, her mother and, but she knew, she knows that her mother will be with her, you know, on her journey. And so she, she kind of just takes that minute to kind of take a breath and collect herself and then keep on going. Well, it's a beautiful it's a beautiful thought to think that even if you have passed away, what you just said, you haven't really left. You're just, you're in a different place. Exactly. Wow. Okay. Now, Pepe, it's, it's neat when you look back and you see his journey. Okay. Yeah. He was a fun character. Yeah. Yeah. And just how the characters reveal themselves. And I, I was wondering, how did Pepe metamorphed? Like, you know, from chapter two to... Yeah. Um, Pepe kind of... So he, you know, you think he's a success spy. He's kind of like a little bit... You might... You don't know much about him. He's taking them into the desert in search of this oasis where, you know, the rest of his you know people are. Um, and you don't really know whether you can trust him or not. And then... And you find more about Pepe as, as the book goes on. And then in the third book, you really find out who Pepe really is. Um, and he's actually based on a real historical figure. Actually, the, the, the book is kind of, he's the main historical figure in the book. Sasha and her friends are all fictional. Um, so Pepe is actually the, the main, he was the famous um, Hyksos king, one of the most famous Hyksos kings. And um and yeah, so it's kind of like a fictionalization of how he kind of came to power. Um, actually, what the whole book is, is kind of, you know, a fictionalization of how Pepe came to power and how for a brief period of time in, in the second intermediate period, there was this, you know, there ended up being a period of peace for 40 years, which kind of features in with the prophecies. But that was based on, you know, real events um, and everything even from, you know, his sister's name is was when I was researching, I, I came across the fact that. He did have a sister, and in the book, I had named her something completely different. Um, but in this research, I was like, "Oh, he." It, there was like little. There's literally one line inscribed on one tomb that was uncovered in one city, um, and I was like, "Well, do I keep my name, my original name, which I'm attached to, or do I change it to this this new name?" Um, and because it's historically accurate, and you know, even though this is fiction, I'm I love those little Easter eggs. So I did end up changing the name to the name of his his sister in real life um, in the novel. So so they, those two characters are real people that existed 3,500 years ago. I mean, just they're obviously fictionalized, but yeah. 
And I think that is extra special when you take real events and you can work it into the fiction, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So in this, in the, your novels, there's action, there's suspense, there's politics. And I'm thinking of Sesha's inner dialogue. You know, um, the men laugh about Marat. Am I saying that? Yeah, Marat, Marat, tomato, tomato. (laughs) The men are laughing because they say that like Marat, Marat is keeping the chieftain busy. You know, and, and you write, the men laugh in that way some do when they talk of a woman as if she were merely an object for someone else's amusement instead of something precious. And I thought, wow, this is good for female and male readers to think about. Um, and it did, did you want that? You know, do you want them coming away thinking about, you know, how people treat each other? Yeah. I mean, I wasn't, I think at the time it wasn't so intentional, but it definitely, um, you know, people deserve, all people deserve to be, you know, treated with dignity and respect. So, um, you know, just make people are more than they're more than, I guess, I'm just trying to think, yeah, they're more than just objects. And we we do have a a bit of object. (laughs) We have an objectification problem with, with, you know, particularly females and, uh, and, and males as well. But, um, just to know that they are real people, despite, you know, all the other things about them, like what they look like, their appearance, all that kind of thing. So, yeah. So I guess it, it wasn't an intentional thing, but um, it did come from a place, I guess, of authenticity where, you know, I've, I've been there where I've been privy to those conversations or overheard those conversations. And so that's probably where I came from. I think every female knows exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, you know, like I said, I, because of how the books are written, any age can enjoy it. You know, like I said, I was reading it and I'm thinking, God, I wish, I, you know, I, these were around when I was a child. Yet that I, as an adult, you know, you, you pick up on like the, the more, and I'm not saying the young adults won't pick this up, but it's neat as an adult to pick up. On totally. Mature themes. Yeah. It's like watching one of those great animated movies that have jokes for the kids and jokes for the parents, kind of. And, you know, the kids, you can still watch an animated movie that's, like, hilarious for adults as well. And so that's kind of, like, that was kind of my my goal and that it would be entertaining for both, you know, kids, teens, and adults, everyone. So, and I, I hope it, that I accomplished that. Um, I enjoyed reading them. I mean, you always are told to write what you would like to read. So this would have been as a bookworm and, you know, an avid reader when I was a kid, this would have been like my favorite thing to read. So I wrote it. (laughs) Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So your writing practice. Um, I'm, I'm always interested in how authors write. Uh, I've kind of got I've got two books at first draft stage. I'm, I'm finally told myself, okay, go back to the other one, start the second, second rewrites. Okay. Good for you. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. So one's a spinoff from another book. Okay. And it's, I've never done this before. So I'm finding that the character in book two, which is a spinoff from book one, 
It's mm-hmm. helping me with the rewrites with book one. So I'm curious to know, how did you write The Desert Prince and The Oracle of Averis? Um, did you find that writing one helped with writing the other or from the like get-go? I've interviewed Marcel Dubé, and she was saying she's a very linear type of writer. So did you go from, let's say, writing book one, clear idea of the the series arc, then book two or book three, or did you dabble or how, like how, what's your process like? Yeah. I mean, for this series, this is my first time ever writing a series and I definitely bit off a lot. Um, but, um, I found that, you know, I, I kind of, I didn't, as I said, I didn't really know so much that was going to happen. And I just knew, okay, the second book, I think they go into the desert. That's all I had. <laughs> They go, they go into the desert to an oasis. That was it. And then the third book, okay, they're in Averis. There's like, they're trying to stop all out war. And those were just basically the two, the two lines I had. Um, so I, I found that I'm not, I'm more of a, a pantser than a plotter, as I think I might've said on the last podcast, um, which makes things more difficult uh, usually for writers. Um, but um that's just how I wrote the, this series. And I kind of had like the overall big picture, but yeah, I definitely, the, the first, you know, I didn't even know when I started the second, like when I started the second book, like Pepe, who's very, he features prominently in both the second and the third, wasn't even, you know, a character in my mind after finishing the first until I started the second. So I was like, so, so yeah. So I guess I, the, the first book does feed the second, which feeds the third. So, um, yeah, so I kind of just discover the story and my characters as I go along. That's neat. That is neat. But it does it would make things easier if I plotted a little bit more <laughs> in hindsight. <laughs> I I've done my line. I do my line across the page, and I I just mark on there like a timeline of of what things have happened. Right. So um, now the it, now I'm I'm going to need correct pronunciation on this. Is it? Hiskos is Hicksos. Hiskos. Hicksos. Like hick pick up and sauce. <laughs> Hicksos. Yeah. Hicksos. Hicksos. <laughs> it's a hard one. It's a hard one. Hicksos. Yeah. Hicksos. Now they are they are loosely based on real people. Like a, a real people, right? Yeah. A tribe, yes. So I was wondering why were you interested in 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 writing about them or reimagining them? Um, so they were. This is why the second intermediate period exists. So basically, the second intermediate period um, it's between the Middle Kingdom and the New Kingdom. The second inter- intermediate period was instru- instrumental in bringing about the New Kingdom. So what it, basically the second intermediate period means like is that it, there was a time in Egypt where it was. Um, taken over and run by the Hyksos, which meant uh, rulers of foreign lands. So um, these these foreigners came into Egypt and they ruled. Um, and then um, after the there was a there was a final war. Um, spoiler alert: they are you know kind of Thebes wins and they're kind of struck from the land. Um, and then Thebes kind of basically got rid of every single kind of image or statue or every record of these people. So they, they kind of disappeared into history. So, you know, with recent archeological, and they were portrayed as like these evil marauders who invaded and these foreigners took our land, blah, 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 blah. Uh, But 
what it was is that they they kind of settled there they naturally through immigration and trade and 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 you know commerce and and they ended up becoming the ruling class because they were able to Thebes was at a weakened point the dynasties you know their stuff they they figured they're not quite sure but the dynasties were weakened Thebes at this point so they were able to kind of come in and rule the land and um, Thebes had to pay tribute to the Hyksos um, in Averis. Um, so it was kind of like a, a, a period in their history, ancient Egypt's history, that the ancient Egyptians were kind of like, I guess, you know, embarrassed about, not embarrassed, but they don't want to like, you know, there, the, the mighty great ancient Egyptians were, you know, ruled by other people. Um, so they kind of tried to erase all of that from, from history. Um, and then, um, then, you know, the new kingdom started and the new kingdom was like basically ancient Egypt's most prosperous and rich and glorious kind of, I guess, kingdom. Um, uh, although, you know, the history of Egypt is so long, it's like thousands and thousands of years. Like we're just, we're all so young in terms of like a lot of our countries, especially Canada, um, that it's just incredible to, to, to fathom that these, you know, these, these nations lasted for so long. Um, so the reason why I wanted to, to write was to give a voice to the Hyksos people who maybe had been struck from history for a little while. Um, but now that we're doing, you know, all these archaeological excavations and digs, we're finding out more about them. So I thought that was just really, really cool. Um, and also reminds us that, you know, history is often told from the viewpoint of the winners of the whatever conflict there is. So um, I felt like I was giving a voice to the Hyksos people who had been kind of erased from history. Um, and yeah. So I, that, that was kind of the inspiration behind that. That's amazing. That's really cool. I, okay. You know, I, I put, like I say, I put to the, together some of these questions and. I'm They're so brilliant. <laughs> no one's ever asked me these questions before. Everyone just thinks this is a fun children's novel, but there's so much more to it. it <laughs> you know, sometimes I think, oh, maybe, you know, this isn't a good question, but then I get the answers and I'm just like, Wow. All right. Okay. <laughs> so in book three, the Oracle of Avaris, Sasha is learning combat skills. Okay. And again, like opening scene, you know, he's like a knife whizzes past her face. Some foreshadowing there. Okay. And there are lessons in this combat scene and I guess it, it meant a lot to me because there's, you know, it, it's combat, but it's combat, it's a combat, like she's learning combat, just, there's more to it than just fighting. That's what I, I'm trying to, to, to say here. Right. Coffee. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, you write, passer demonstrates brandishing the blade. There is strength, there is strength there, as well as grace. A hand that wields a soldier's tools as easily as a scribe's. You know, and then, and then he says, if you are on unarmed, your sole task is to make your opponent drop their knife. And I'm hoping that young readers, when they read this, that they take more from it than, it, than just then it's just a fight scene. And is that, is that what you're also trying to encourage? Like that there's a responsibility? Uh, well, you make me sound very um, uh, intelligent, <laughs> but um, it was actually, you know, it, it, it is a, a commentary on you just kind of need to 
diffuse the situation, not necessarily strike back right away. So yeah, so I guess it, it was, um, and that's kind of what I was meaning by that. But like she, she, so you know whether it's with your your words or your your actions, you, you kind of want to like I find like all too often in our society we always are just adding fuel to the fire. Like someone says something and then someone takes offense and someone takes offense and just escalates and escalates. And it's all these egos that are just trying to have the final word and the final say and then things escalate and it doesn't get anyone anywhere and it just makes a lot of mess and a lot of pain and anger and it just so I mean I think you uh, yeah you know trying if you want to defend yourself you 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 try to obviously defuse the situation but um that's your number one goal and, and then if you can't then of course you have to in her the scenario she's in she, she does have to defend herself so yeah yeah, well, I just, you know, that's, that's the thing. I, I, I think <laughs> there's a responsibility <laughs> if you're going to pick up a weapon, right? And I just, I, sometimes I feel like it gets lost, right? So, okay. So how would you describe an oracle for our listeners? Um, so I kind of, uh, my editor also wanted to know exactly what I meant by oracle. So in this book, the oracle is similar to the priestess of Delphi, the ones who, you know, in Greek times, you would you would go to the, the, the priestesses and there would be an oracle and she would be a priestess who would answer the questions. Usually um, th- there, are, there are different explanations, but they believe that, you know, they were breathing in these kind of gases from these vapors and these chambers that led to kind of heightened states of awareness or consciousness. So she's, it's kind of like that. That's where I kind of based it off of. And so the Oracle is, is a priestess um, and she's able to kind of uh, channel things and channel messages and, and kind of communicate with the greater realm of, of consciousness. And yeah, so, so it's, a, it's a, our actual woman in this case is a priestess who, or there's one Oracle, one main Oracle in each, you know, generation. I remember the scene where she walks into the water and yeah, there is that scene. Yeah. That was, yeah. That was a fun scene to write. Cool. All right. Now there's magic in this story, you know, and it's being with the, like you talk about, you write about the Oracle during the eclipse. Um, you may, you know, you say you may witness the third and final prophecy, you know, like prophecies and that I, I, that really, you can tell that I think that is really cool. And when Pepe reads the prophecy made by the Oracle of Averis, I immediately thought, Sasha, okay. <laughs> so what I was wondering was, just how important and how much respect or reverence were these prophecies to the to the people oh yeah they were just part of their everyday life like the in 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 my book it's a bit different but in in ancient egypt like an oracle was just where you would go and you would you know ask you could even ask like a yes no question like it would be at like a temple or a shrine and you would get your answer or you know depending you know on what on what you asked but you know people consulted oracles on everything from when should i plant my crops to should my daughter you know leave her home and go live with this man or should you know i invade this kingdom so all everything from in between the big questions and the small questions and I think 
that's just part of human nature is to kind of seek answers outside of ourselves. But a lot of the time we know the what the answers are. And it's about listening to our own intuition. Um, and, you know, kind of, I mean, I, I think you said in my introduction that I was a tarot reader and I, and I love reading tarot and I, the way I read tarot is not in like, this is your future kind of mystical way. It's more like, this is what the, these cards mean. What does that mean for you? How does that tap into your own intuition, your own subconscious? What, what comes up for you? Like it's a tool to help people kind of understand what they're feeling or thinking or wanting or not wanting, um, by just listening to their bodies and listening to a, a deeper consciousness within them. Okay. See, and I've, yeah. And I think I've been doing yoga and meditation and it's only 10 minutes of meditation, but, oh, you know, you just, like you said, getting in and yeah. Meditation should be nationally prescribed <laughs> to everyone. And I, and I, I'm not like one who does my meditation every day. I, I'm pretty bad for it, but it's just so just getting quiet and like being in your body and focusing in your breath and just, being in the present moment and, you know, letting go of, you know, the past or, you know, stop worrying about the future, which, you know, never, never comes. It's always the present. So just, I think getting connecting to your breath and being in your body and, and you know, looking for the answers inside yourself can just getting quiet and listening to that is really, can be really powerful. I remember one time I was doing meditation for 10 minutes and my, it was just before we we're moving and my husband walks in, do you know where this is? And I'm just like, <laughs> Yeah. Did you I, like? Did you get an image of the of the object? Like, were you like that? That happened to me the other day. I was meditating and I couldn't find my car keys, and they d- it just came to me in a flash because you took some time to get quiet. So it's like it's through, and I know this doesn't sound very holistic, but it's through an app on my phone. But it's just that ten minutes of just like you said quiet and shutting everything else out oh absolutely it doesn't matter what form it comes in don't don't judge yourself for using an app it's fine (laughs) the conflicts in these novels internal external conflicts even between sesha and her brother kai you know and some i i thought okay one of the the thing by having conflicts is then you also have an opportunity for forgiveness and understanding and would you and growth would you say because that's that's how your your character develops wouldn't you say yeah absolutely i mean we all can grow and learn out of conflict and it doesn't have to be the end of the world um it's just i don't know that feels uh, weird saying at the moment with the current events but we um we, I feel like we, if we learn from conflict, conflict, and we learn also how to apologize and say we're sorry, or how to kind of accept other people's apologies, and just, you know, because focusing on conflict, if what you know, there's a yogi saying, whatever you focus on grows. So if you're always focusing on conflict and how you were wronged, and this person did that, and it just makes you miserable, and there's never any kind of room for 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 spiritual or personal growth. So. Uh, yeah, I guess just kind of resolving the conflict with yourself and, you know, whether it's, you know, who's to say whose fault it is, just kind of knowing that like dwelling on something is not going to serve your highest purposes. So just letting things go and kind of moving on. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Definitely. Now, after reading this book, I was thinking actually three books, you know, and it's neat because 
it's neat seeing them now as a series, you know, it just, yeah, the covers are so gorgeous. I really have to thank my my um, cover designer, Laura Boyle, and the artist, the illustrator who did them, Queenie Chan. They did such a such a fabulous job with these covers. Or like, you know, I can I can say this because I didn't make the covers, but they're they're pretty much some of the most stunning covers I've ever seen on children's books. So I think they did a fabulous job. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And you know, in the, your book, right? You have the word, you write, words are important. You know, this is Kesha, right? Words are important. Peppy reminds me, like reminds Kesha. Kesha. Kesha's <laughs> the pop singer. <laughs> I keep thinking that one in there. <laughs> That's okay. Because you know what it is? It's her brother, Kai. You're putting them together. <laughs> I do that sometimes with my own children. So it's totally fine. <laughs> oh, sorry. So, you know, Peppy is reminding her that words are important, you know, and they are the most powerful tool on earth. And then you write, which is why we should be mindful of their use. And again, that was to me another drop the mic moment. You know, you just, you go on Instagram or you go on Twitter and are you hoping young adults and future generations will take away, take away what their words are and what they say. I mean, yeah, I, I'm, I don't, I'm not, I don't want to be like preachy about it, but I do think it's, it's good to be mindful of the words we say and, and how much things, you know, the damage that that words can do and how much they hurt. And I feel like in this, you know, this kind of cancel culture environment, you know, people just pile up on, on, you know, people who, who may or may not deserve whatever that's not for me to judge, but just, I feel like people are, can say things behind screens that they would not normally say to a person in real life. And it's just, there's a lot of, a lot of, I don't know, there's a lot of anger and hurt and, and stuff. And it just, the technology makes it very easy to put out that negativity into the world. It also makes it easy to put positivity into the world, but I think there's a psychology thing that where it takes like, you know, one positive, three positive things to outweigh a negative thought in your own mind. So, you know, it's just, it, it's, I do think people should be mindful of, of what they say and, and how they say things and whether that's online or, you know, IRL in real life. Um, but yeah, I think, it, I mean, and words, words are very powerful. They have the power to, to change the world and we should also be aware of other people's words and, you know, take everything kind of with a grain of salt as well. If we, you know, just this, I think when I was writing this, there's a lot of fake news going around and, and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, just being mindful of where you're getting your information from, doing your due diligence, taking care of your own, you know, your own words. And yeah. 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 I remember it's, this is going to sound old fashioned, but my mother used to say to my sisters and I think about what you're going to say before you say it. Yeah. Everyone should do that. <laughs> I don't think a lot of people do. No, the other one was like, uh, this is going to sound so old fashioned, but she also used to say, if you can't say something nice, don't say anything at all. You know? I think, I think that's, a, that is like, that. I am obviously familiar with that saying, And I think that's such a great one too. It's very true. I say that to my kids all the time. Yes. Yeah. Right? So anyways, <laughs> Alicia, is there anything you'd like to add and what's next like i hope another book i mean can we can we take sasha and kai and like okay you said they've been in the desert they've been in an oasis right 
Yeah. Um, well, the third one ends. I know that's actually a couple of people have asked me if there's going to be another book. It ends in a way where it, it ends. It could be the ending. But, you know, if I wanted to write a little bit more, maybe when they're older down the line, I could do that. Um, the, the deal, the, the, the book deal with the, the publisher was for three books. So um, for now, I think it's kind of we're going to pause. It's also, it's also a lot of work to write a trilogy. So I'm just taking a bit of a break. Um, and I, I have, you know, a couple other projects I'm working on. I have my debut baby board book coming out with Orca Press in April. It's called Give Me a Snickle. Um, it's a really cute baby board book all about like um, kind of made up words of love, like a, a snickle. Me and my son made it up. It's a snuggle and a tickle who loves a good snickle. So it's all, it's all like fun made up words and it's really cute. Um, I'm also working on um, another YA project called Palm of My Hand, which again features the whole tarot reading, palm reading kind of crystal shop, you know, witches kind of vibe. So that's another young adult novel that's currently with my agent on submission. So hopefully someone reads it and falls in love with it. We'll cross our, we'll send out good vibes for that. Um, but yeah, and um, just uh, kind of trying to figure out where to go next after, after that, after the series, we'll see. Excellent. Good. Okay. Well, please keep me posted. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Alicia. Thank you so much. And um, people, you can find my podcast at jcvartstudio.net. I will have Alicia's social media information in the podcast notes. And uh, I hope everyone, after hearing this podcast, steps away and A, buys your books, and also feel good. I really want people to feel good. Absolutely. It's so important to kind of take care of ourselves right now. We've been through a lot in the last few years and um, just kind of take care of yourself and, you know, take like send out love both to yourself and to the world and um yeah thank you so much for having me on the show and um i do hope people buy the book and enjoy them i think they're great for both you know kids and adults so and if if you do i'd love you know if you could read leave a review on amazon or you know reach out on social media it'd be fantastic to hear from a reader spring breaks coming up people (laughs) (laughs) thank you thank you so much bye